Welcome to the Innovation Today podcast, where we speak with today's technology leaders about how they're innovating to stay ahead of changing industry dynamics and reaching new levels of productivity and automation. Brought to you by ServiceNow, your partner in digital transformation. Hello, and thank you for joining us today for another episode of the Innovation Today podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Miller, an innovation officer here at ServiceNow. And today, I'm super energized to welcome Janu Koshi, Vice President of the Global of Head of Domain Consulting for TMT at Emphasis. Janu, welcome aboard. Thank you, Spencer. Good day to you. How are you doing? I'm so well. How about yourself? Minus the power outage. Thank you. Janu's <laughs> coming to us today on battery backup, so he's super dedicated to have this conversation with us today. It's a pleasure and a privilege, Spencer. Amazing. Thank you. It's good to see you. Well, so today we're going to dive into this this world of telco and the challenges that you face in the telco industry, as well as some of the challenges that the customers that you consult on on face. But but first, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role? I mean, you've been in this, from my understanding, you've been in this realm for 30 years of experience. So we'd, I'd love to hear about your role currently and how you maybe evolved into where you're at today. Absolutely. An exciting 30 years it has been, uh, Spencer. Over the last 30 years, I've worked with uh, the entire value chain of TMT, with uh, silicon manufacturers, with uh, communication service providers, with telco OEMs, with uh, ISVs, software uh, makers, the big hyperscalers. So we've had all of you in the value chain as uh, clients and it's been a privilege for me to watch this industry from the sidelines you know from the early 90s onwards all these uh, 30 years and uh, boy it's been a ride it's been uh, it's been a fun ride uh, seeing this and uh, you know the fundamentals haven't changed at all in running this business though but uh, privilege to be here so as part of this role uh, spencer uh, I lead a team of uh, industry consultants which serve uh, communication service providers, media houses, telco OEMs, etc. across the globe. And uh, we help uh, clients digitally transform themselves through um, software technology, process uh, re-engineering, and also reimagination of their businesses. And uh, so it's been uh, exciting times uh, with all the digital transformation that's happening across the globe, uh, Spencer. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, this past few years, we've seen digital transformation be the head of, I think, the majority of the leaders that we consult with just because of the nature of the beast of we've had to digitally transform the way that the world was operating and kind of migrating us all into this digital era. I'm curious. Now, digital transformation probably means a, a lot of things to a fair amount of people. In the TMT industry, how do you guys think about digital transformation? Where do you, where do you go with, when your clients ask you to digitally transform their, their telco business? Oh, absolutely. With the telco business, uh, though, it's interesting that the incumbent telcos have a lot of legacy to deal with as well. You know, So they have built these systems, uh, fine-tuned them over the last you know, 10, 15, 20 years in some cases. And, uh, you know, so those systems need to be uh, to be uh, continued. You need to really 
run, if you will, a two-track race uh, and sort of run this to speed, if you will. So while running the business on the legacy uh, you know, software and hardware infrastructure, you're also transforming uh, the business piece by piece, uh, transforming the infrastructure piece by piece and moving this on. So to answer your question, digital transformation means different things to different people. But fundamentally, it's about bringing the agility in bringing new products and services to the market. The, to be able to uh, rapidly do that uh, like the digital natives would do. So it's about taking an incumbent organization, an incumbent telco, and helping them navigate their next to this digital future where they're able to roll out uh, you know, new products and services to the market uh, pretty rapidly. Right. In, a, in an area that may have taken them a lot longer in the past. That's, that's kind of how I look at digital transformation as well. It's, it's where can we find these iterative moments of innovation that we can then test quickly and ideally fail fast if they don't work. But if they do work, then we can implement them, as you said, in an agile fashion into how we roll out products, for example, in, in, a, in the telco space. So iterative innovation that, that helps them continually expand in, into areas that they're looking to, to maybe test and market in. Absolutely. And I've heard clients tell me that along with that also, they want to bring uh, order of magnitude improvement in KPIs that matter. For example, you know, time to market as an example, right? We're talking figures like 10x. So it's not about, you know, um, uh, 70 days uh, or 70 weeks to, or to release a product, but not even, uh, you know, 70 days, but uh, 70, 70 minutes, no, 70 seconds or seven seconds. You know, are you able to release that products to the market at that sort of pace in the market? And that's what the digital industry beckons, if you will. So what would an example of that be for the, the telco industry? When, we're releasing, when I think of telco and releasing products, I'm thinking of, of new potential uh, bandwidth offerings that they'd offer from business to business clients or maybe a, a packaging of infrastructure, perhaps. How can they get that down to, to 10x, 10 to market? Or how, how are they thinking about that? If you visualize the digital natives and, uh, you know, the examples that uh, I often cite is, uh, you know, the Amazon example of when you and I as a user, forget the matter of the B2B for a moment, but you and I as a user, uh, think about a product. You already have a recommendation engine pushing at you at the product at the screen because of your patterns of browsing or some fingerprints, digital fingerprints that you have left on the uh, on somewhere in the digital world. And then using that, you're already uh, you know, converting that thought into action by clicking on a buy button. And in about 24 to 48 hours, you're able to get the product at home. So are we able to think at that kind of, uh, you know, intent to cash cycle, if you will? So when from the time the customer intent pops in to the time cash hits our bank, in the product cycle, you know, are we able to collapse that radically is what uh, this, uh, you know, this is about. And how do you do that? Well, you've got to have systems that enable the intent to be captured first. You know, you have to have a data 
driven organization, the data uh, sort of, you know, that are left behind, not only in the product uh, life cycle, but also in when customers are calling in for repairs, customers are calling in for complaints, or the billing cycles that happen. So all of this data that is richly available, you know, things like location, presence, context, all of that synthesized into a, um, you know, a wonderful mine of information. And then using that to make sure that we are able to push recommendations in, right? So it starts with building a data-driven organization. You know, do we have a culture of, Data. And when you do that, it's like, you know, it's not that you build a 10-story apartment building and then think of where do I fit my data in, but foundationally, you architect it in a, in a way that data is already considered into the architecture. And then in turn, that helps out with the customer experience because when the customer calls in, they you have an under, the telco advisor, the telco individual that's picking up and representing the company on the line or on the chat or whatever it may be, understands what the customer analytics and the, and the data behind what they're calling in from. They, there's, they're, they're more informed from an experiential standpoint. Absolutely. You know my preferences, you know my you know, patterns, you know what I, uh, what I like, and not, uh, you're not bored with responding to mundane questions uh, you know, that go through the hierarchy of questioning. But rather, by the time you're there, on the screen to purchase or at the store uh, if you're going uh, through a digital sort of an experience, you know, starting digital and then ending at the store to pick up the device or something of that sort or interact with the store in some sense in the B2C scenario. Uh, the idea of then all of this context is delivered at the point of the customer interaction. So that experience is absolutely vital, like you said. Yeah, that's... That's uh, that's good foresight. I, I I appreciate the input there, Janiel. I I wanted to actually actually ask you a, a few things as well as what the industry's what the struggles that you're currently seeing. So so you you've kind of talked on this point of digital transformation and, and and ensuring that they're becoming an agile organization. But what is the what else are you seeing that the industry is is struggling with, especially in in kind of the modern day of trying to keep up with this fast-paced generation when they've got all this legacy infrastructure that they're they're trying to still keep up to snuff, if you will. Oh, absolutely, Spencer. The, uh, the, one of the prime things we hear CCU talk to us is about growth. If you look at uh, the top 50 to the top 100 telcos and plot them along, you know, how the revenue growth has been in the last, uh, you know, two to four to five years, uh, I think it has been, unfortunately, flat or negative uh, in, in many cases. And the point is that every telco C-suite is looking for growth. So one imperative that you will find in most conversations dominating is growth. How can I grow uh, is one fundamental question that emerges. The second question is related to the attribute that we mentioned earlier that because the incumbent organizations carry a load of legacy uh, software and hardware infrastructure, the idea is how do I run that at uh, a very minimal operating cost? How do I ensure that the OPEX is reduced to a bare minimum so that I am able to use that and plow that 
sort of balance sheet in favor of new investments that I've got to do that will drive my growth. So this is really the, the two things that uh, we hear uh, customers say. And the third thing, obviously, is how do I improve my experience with the customers, with the end customers, uh, both B2B and B2C customers? Yeah, that's, and we hit on that one a little bit, but I'd, I'd love to understand these a little bit more, the other two that you mentioned. So reducing the OPEX on the ex existing infrastructure that's out there so they can fund new projects. And at the same time, trying to understand uh, the, the, the growth problem. So what, what do you, why do you think the, the telco industries are having trouble growing? What's, what's the underlying root there? Well, uh, it is about, you know, the products and services that you're able to sell as well. What is value for customer? How do you ensure that the end customer is able to value, uh, you know, the, the sale that we're doing and to be able to monetize that value over the customer lifetime, right? So traditionally, the industry has thrived on selling uh, connectivity and connectivity enabled services you know, around uh, that sort of paradigm, right? So you have a you have an organization, you have a sales engine that is, and a sales and marketing organization that is very strongly biased towards that way of selling um, the the connectivity uh, category of products, and then the idea of new products and services that are needed for today. How do you consume conceive them? How do you uh, enable them, that is really uh, one of the challenges that you will find in the in the growth. And the idea also is that the fail fast that uh, Spencer, you touched on early on in the conversation, the idea of, well, nobody even knows what the what the customers likely to uh, to hit on, if you will, right on a, or at scale. And it's about trying new products and services at a rapid pace having the infrastructure that enables that uh, that sort of pattern to emerge. And then we're able to utilize that feedback, real-time feedback from the customer to keep changing and tuning the products and services and fail fast in cases where this doesn't work, uh, you know. And, and that whole uh, pattern is what you need in this new digital world. Now, have you have you consulted on any companies where you've seen a, an example of do this well? And I, I guess we don't have to get down into the names if if we don't want to on the specifics behind it. But what's an example of where you've seen uh, adapting digital transformation and getting an, an agile mindset to put in products to be able to either fail fast or succeed quickly that's worked out well that you've seen? I think in in various stages we we have seen examples where there are north star examples of uh, of successes digital successes but they have always been a combination of a smart technology but at the same time smart use of technology and infrastructure but at the same time also the ability to to use regulation to the effect the collective will in the country and the uh, you know, operator together using regulation to good effect uh, is uh, some examples that we've seen where digital revenues have really skyrocketed. But that those examples, again, have been far few in between, if you will, right? And the other example uh, that is very celebrated 
in um, in my part of the world, which I come from, India Reliance, for example, has gone on and built a uh, platform which is called the Geo Platform, uh, which uh, which is a good example of uh, how over the years they have aggregated, uh, you know a conveyor belt of solutions, products, and capabilities onto this conveyor belt so that they are able to then evaluate which are the high-running products that will eventually succeed, and then they push them into a different orbit. And this could be the pattern uh, that sort of uh, we see in the future. So that model, one, the patience to build the platform and to onboard a variety of products and um, you know, services onto that conveyor belt and ensuring that the high runners are able to then graduate into the next orbit, which allows you to to milk that uh, opportunity of success. Yeah, that's a great example. So this kind of constant funnel of innovation is always was, is always percolating out new products and the products that make the most sense for the customers naturally are going to bubble up to the top on the most successful ones or the most useful ones out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great example. On, on the other note, on the other growth problem that you, you alluded to on re- reducing the OPEX on the existing, the, the ton of existing infrastructure that's out there. Do you have a, do you have any idea of how that's, how that's done well to reduce the OPEX on that, to get it to kind of this bare minimum on the legacy infrastructure to, to fund for current growth on new infrastructure, on new digital infrastructure? Yes, we've seen organizations do that, both the ones that we consult and are our clients as well, uh, to take legacy and sort of, you know, bundle that, you know, in, a, in terms of a construct as a service. So it's legacy as a service. You know, you sort of bundle it completely and strip it uh, and provide it to a partner who will then run it as a service and you're able to then monitor that output, uh, you know, just in terms of KPIs that eventually deliver to the business. Business agreements in some cases, you know, completely you, you sort of as an agent, you know, sort of run the management of that uh, business agreements that are eventually uh, delivering those KPIs, if you will, uh, to the to the business. So that's uh, uh, the way that's done. And, and in terms of how it's done, uh, it is through uh, significant use of automation, uh, automation, AI, and uh, automation. Again, clinical use of that at, uh, you know, incremental uh, benefits that sort of attack different areas of the business is essentially how you uh, do this. So one, uh, bundle this as a service and to be able to then just monitor hands-free the business agreements that come out of that legacy as a service instead of going into the roots of it and trying to manage it by compartments and modules and subsystems and all of that and try and you know look inside and micromanage those situations. You sort of bundle it, give it as a service, and two, the significant use of AI and ML in terms of automation uh, that will deliver these uh, significant uh, savings of OPEX. Yeah, that's, that's beautifully put. So bundling the legacy, 
packages and infrastructure as a service. So it's the only concern really at that point for the telco then is the metrics and the KPIs that they have to adhere to from that service. And then of course, the use of automation. So maybe unpacking that piece just a little bit more, how, how important is it on the automation aspect to choose the quote unquote right vendor, if you will, or have the have a have an automation strategy that the company is is looking to kind of have a north star towards. Can you talk to us a little bit about what the automation world looks like in packaging that up as legacy as a service, or what you've seen from success there? Sure, Spencer. So uh, the idea is not that you know, one vendor versus another in terms of either a product or a service provider. But the idea is that do you have a culture of uh, democratizing the AI and ML? So there are several things that you will, several tools that you will find uh, in the market and the ability then to, to harness the best that is available in the organization. So certain parts of the organization might be using a certain tool or a certain benefit uh, that they are leveraging. Another part of the organization might be using yet another tool. Now, instead of, you know, yes, there is benefit in standardizing and having one sort of fit across the enterprise, that is one approach, but the other approach could be also that are you able then to harness the use of uh, democratized AI, if you will, in the organization. So fit for purpose in in respective packets, right? So what works in networks works in networks. What works in in uh, in the IT world works in IT, and what works in the business world works in business. And are you able to synthesize and harness an architecture that enables the democratization of that is very key. And then moving on incrementally to that goal rather than a big bang approach of you know i will solve the world's hunger out of this you know one ai ml large project it's about uh, managing this through incremental uh, efforts yeah that's well put the, the culture of democratizing ai and, and ml ai and machine learning we were having a philosophical discussion internal on our innovation team at service now around this and we were kind of thinking or we were kind of alluding to the fact that maybe there'll be a time when there's almost an AI of AIs. <laughs> so follow me on this, where, where you might go to speak an outcome of what you're looking to solve. And rather than that be one specific platform that is going to solve that via AI for you, you speak it to an AI bot and the AI bot then goes out to decide which platforms are the best choice to be able to build that solution on. And it may, like to your point, maybe a multitude of different AI and machine learning platforms. So almost an abstraction layer, if you will, or that I love that democratizing layer that you said there that that brings it up a level that, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter the underlying tool that it's it's going to work. It might be a, a, a mix of tools. And then from there, your, your AI is kind of deciding the best fit based on your cost, based on the time to value, based on what you're looking to or how, how quickly you're looking to roll it out, all these criteria that you feed in the engine. Absolutely. And I think uh, you mentioned that pretty well, even culturally inside an organization, you know, uh, at emphasis as well, the idea of a central group dictating how things should be done across the entire enterprise versus allowing innovation to thrive in 
various touch points in the organization and harnessing that to ensure that the outcomes are managed and you're able to then drive the outcomes into a collective enterprise outcome is uh, is one of the ways to manage this. Right. Yeah. And and as long as you have the organizational governments, governance and the platform governance around it, then I think you can you can provide those pools of innovation throughout the departments, regardless of maybe the platforms that they're working on. You have a few strategic platforms that you've aligned to. You allow the innovation to happen on those strategic platforms. And, and luckily enough, the governance is wrapped around it. So it doesn't just become the wild, wild west. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're getting close to our, our end here, but I'd, I'd love to end on kind of more of these philosophical thoughts, as it seems like you do, too. So we're, we're kind of approaching this, this new year. And I always like to, to ask our guests or at least start to think about where we're going next, maybe, not, maybe next year, but maybe even past the year. So if you think of what's top of mind for your teams and the customers that you support out there, how, how are you thinking about where the future of telco might be next year, five years, maybe even 10 years out? Uh, not even thinking five, 10 years out, but, uh, but in the fu- future, uh, we should be able to provide, for example, and leverage the, the, the softwareization of the entire telco, which includes the networks as well, right? To be able to have programmability at all points in the in the tech stack, if you will, to be able to ensure that we are able to give an experience and uh, you know to the client who's willing to pay for that experience, and then we are able to monetize that. Today, an infrastructure is unable to support that sort of dynamic uh, ability to price. You know, with, for example, programmable networks, we are talking about liquid infrastructure, which allows you then to uh, to to be able to uh, to select and choose flexibly what kind of, uh, you know, uh, options do I want? What kind of network options do I want? And to be able to then prime and price that experience into the monetization regime essentially that's that's really where the world should head in the you know one two three year horizon we should see that happen uh, for this industry to have the next bout of growth yeah and you actually in in our prior discussions you kind of gave me an example around this on gaming because i i i kind of challenged you a little bit and said well i don't i don't necessarily care i got gig to my house i mean i know we're not talking b2c necessarily but i don't necessarily care like if i if i have you know a little less latency than my neighbor because mostly i'm just doing this type of you know streaming online service that we have here and i'm answering emails and those types of things but you challenged me back and said, well, to the gaming experience, that's a much different package and that latency is of the utmost importance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to, to, you should ask a gamer uh, about the latency impact that uh, their games would have in a multi-party game and the network uh, effect that uh, it needs to bring, right? So I think to be able to pay, pay a premium for that latency, which is lower, and that experience, which is lower, experience which is higher uh, you know if you will uh, is uh, is essentially what uh, will drive that uh, consumption of uh, a better uh, you know monetization experience so really uh, you know that's uh, what will drive that consumer behavior yes 
and uh, programmability at all fronts, which allows that in the consumer world and even in the B2B world to enterprises to be able to choose the options flexibly and through self-service portals and to be able to have less dependency on, on, uh, on human interactions and people not having the data that supports it eventually when you land up in those calls. All of that is which will drive the future experience in the one, two-year horizon. Yeah, that's beautifully put. It's, it's, uh, I'm almost thinking of a world where I'm, I'm opening up my, my calendar for the day and it sees that I have maybe a, a metaverse meeting where I'm meeting with multiple different individuals, but I have an immersive experience that's next level on Zoom that's going to require a fair amount of bandwidth and low latency. So the system may be smart enough at that point to even reach out to my service provider, say, hey, I know I'm going to need to burst to a low latency type of package for this two hour time frame where I'm, I'm in a multiverse, um, you know, super embedded in as in all that I can think of in, in every single aspect, I need this to be the top experience. So I'm going to burst up into this new level and this, and the automation behind the scenes will allow that to happen in a seamless way for me from a customer experience standpoint. Oh, I have, I have a similar example, uh, uh, you know, which is in the medical field, uh, Spencer. Uh, this is a network operator who is providing service to a cancer center and the cancer center had to send uh, you know, large files to the, uh, you know, from the clinic to the doctor to who was, uh, you know, consulting. And these large files would take a long time to reach because they wouldn't, the network wouldn't support the transfer of that large, those large files. The moment you're able to do that, the scan is complete, you're able to upload uh, a these files, large files, provide a burst of bandwidth at that time to do that, and then collapse it back to the regular bandwidth. And that was implemented by this operator. Uh, and successfully, that turned around time, you know, reduced the cancer uh, care experience from the time the clinic has the report to the time the doctor gets it. Instead of two weeks, they were able to do that in the, in the span of a few hours. Oh, wow. That's a fantastic, that's a fantastic example. Yeah, now we're now we're talking game changing experience and potentially, you know, having a potentially saving lives if you can speed up that level of time that it's going to take for a diagnosis to occur. I mean, that could change the the outcome of of what a patient experience would be like on on what their doctor consultation would be. And to uh, to believe that the network architecture, the topology, and the network solution was the bottleneck was something that uh, I found it very hard to understand before I went into that experience. Wow. All right. Well, that's a great one. I, Janu, I, I, I've been really, enjoy, really enjoyed talking with you on this one. I, I think we got a lot of stuff for maybe some of the audience out there to noodle on. With all this in mind, where do, where do you think listeners might start? Where, where would be my, my next best action if I'm in the, the telco B2B service and, and I want to get my head around potentially being a, a, a much better customer experience or having a much better customer experience in the next couple of years? Well, I think uh, agility in your products and services, keep it simple. Uh, look for that agility across the stack, uh, which allows you to do that uh, agile product uh, and service rollout. Uh, make sure the customer experience is spot on in this case and uh, build flexibility, programmability into the entire stack. Those would be the three things that I would have our teams and our clients focus on in the next uh, year or two. 
Beautiful. Well said, my friend. All right. Well, let's uh, let's bring this plane to a close and wrap this up here on the on, on any other information. So if customers want to learn more about what we're doing consultatively or what Infosys is doing in this space, where can they learn more about, about you, Juno? Oh, absolutely. I think um, uh, www.infosys.com, uh, you know, has that uh, our website has that uh, point of information and uh, uh, the idea of there, there should be a way to reach us there through that and uh, marketing will reach us uh, to to this uh, place. Amazing. All right, Janil, thank you so much for your time today. I'm Spencer Beemler. Once again, this is the Innovation Today podcast and we're signing off. Thank you. To, thank you again. Thank you, Spencer. It was wonderful talking to you. Likewise. See you guys.